Any of you ever wish that the world was not quite as messy as it is? That everyday life was uh, a little less messy? Um, you, you know, um, I wish that the way things worked is that um, we would, would hear about Jesus and we would um, begin to walk with Jesus and then in a week or two we would all be living and loving like Jesus. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Uh, unfortunately, we live in a world that doesn't work that way. We live in bodies and lives that don't work that way, right? Um, we, we have years of bad habits and things that, that we have to overcome. Um, and, and so I, uh, I love these stories from Genesis that we read because uh, sometimes we think of, of our heroes, even our heroes in scriptures, we think of them as people who, who live these perfect uh, exemplary lives that we all want to um, look and do as they did. And yet, as we read these stories of Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and, and Moses and the early Israelites, we find out that their lives were just as messy as ours. You don't believe me? Let's, uh, let's hear some passages from um, Genesis 25 today and then Genesis 27, and maybe you can help me decide what we do with these passages. I'm going to begin in verse 27 of chapter 25. Um, we pick up the story about um, Isaac's two sons, Jacob and Esau, who just got along wonderfully. Well, maybe not. When the young men grew up, Esau became an outdoorsman who knew how to hunt, and Jacob became a quiet man who stayed at home. Isaac loved Esau because he enjoyed eating game. But Rebecca loved Jacob. Uh-oh. Favorites, huh? Uh, once when Jacob was boiling stew, Esau came in from the field hungry and said to Jacob, I'm starving. Let me devour some of this red stuff, this stew. That's why my name is Edom. And Jacob said, sell me your birthright and I'll let you have some food. Sounds like loving brothers, yes? Esau said, oh, since I'm going to die anyway, what good is my birthright to me? And Jacob said, give me your word today. And he did. And he sold his birthright to Jacob. So Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew. He ate and drank and got up and left, showing just how little he thought of his birthright. It gets better. We read over in chapter 27, verses... Uh, 1 through 18, um, this uh, story of this perfect, loving family. When Isaac had grown old and his eyesight was failing, he summoned his older son Esau and said to him, My son, and Esau said, I'm here. And he said, I'm old and don't know when I will die. So now take your hunting gear, your bow and your quiver and your ar arrows, go out to the field and hunt game for me. Make me the delicious food that I love and bring it to me so I can eat. Then I will bless you before I die. Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke these words to his son Esau. And when Esau went out to the field to hunt game to bring, to bring back, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, I just heard your father saying to your brother Esau, Bring me some game and make me some delicious food so I can eat. And I will bless you in the Lord's presence before I die. 
Now, my son, listen to me, to what I am telling you to do. Go to the flock and get me two healthy young goats so I can prepare them as the delicious food your father loves. You can bring it to your father. He will eat, and then he will bless you before he dies. Jacob said to his mother, Rebekah, My brother Esau is a hairy man, but I have smooth skin. What if my father touches me and thinks I'm making fun of him? I will be cursed instead of blessed. And his mother said to him, Your curse will be on me, my son. Just listen to me. Go and get them for me. So he went and got them and brought them to his mother, and his mother made the delicious food that his father loved. Rebekah took her older son Esau's favorite clothes that were in the house with her, and she put them on her younger son Jacob. On his arms and smooth neck, she put hide of young goats, and the delicious food and the bread she made, she put into her son's hands. And Jacob went to his father and said, My father, and he said, I'm here. Who are you, my son? The story goes on to tell how uh, Jacob indeed participated in this deception. And even though Isaac had some questions every time he sought to, to verify this was Esau, um, what, what he could sense told him that it was. And so in verse 25 we read, Isaac said, bring some food here and let me eat some of my son's game so I can bless you. And Jacob put it before him and Isaac ate. And he brought him wine and he drank and his father Isaac said to him, come here and kiss me my son. So he came close, and he kissed him, and when Isaac smelled the scent of his clothes, he blessed him. Well, you see, we're not alone in living in a messy world, are we? Well, what are we to do with this passage? Throughout the, throughout the uh, centuries, uh, and even today when you read commentaries on this passages, we're not sure what to do with this. Because we know the end of the story. We know that Jacob is the hero. And so many, many commentaries actually um, hedge their bets and suggest that Rebekah and Jacob, uh, deception shouldn't be looked upon as that bad. Because in the end, isn't that what God wanted was to bless Jacob? Now, that seems to be an interesting way to look at this passage to me. So, so what are we to do with this passage? Well, what is the result of this deception? It seems as if Rebecca and Jacob have, have come up with this wonderful plan um, that uh, Jacob will fool Isaac, and then he'll have the blessing, he'll have the birthright, and the birthright means what he gets is an extra portion of the inheritance. So, in other words, since there's two sons... Um, the, the oldest son would typically get two portions and the youngest son one portion. Well, because um, Esau sold his, Jacob will get two portions instead of the one. And, and now he has the blessing of the father. And, and the blessing of the father in the Old Testament w- was really uh, the father saying to the son, usually again the eldest son as he put his hands on him, uh, that, that he would take over as the patriarch of the family when uh, the father died. And so it appears that Jacob has it all. But what really happens in the story, if we pay attention to what happens in these next few chapters, um, we we find out very quickly that Esau is terribly upset. And in fact, he says that as soon as Isaac dies and the mourning period is over, 
His plan is to kill his brother Jacob. Not exactly what Rebecca and Jacob had, had thought. Obviously, uh, they had devised this wonderful plan, but they hadn't quite thought it all the way through. And, and so um, they are now worried. And so Rebecca has to devise another plan. And this time she decides, well, I need to send Jacob off back to the homeland where my brother lives so that he can um, escape Esau. And the excuse that she used was so that he could go and take wives from, uh, from her brother's household uh, that, would be, that would not be Canaanite. And so again, we see that, that Isaac agrees with this, and he blesses Jacob again, and he uh, sends him off on this, um, on this path. Um, to go back to his homeland and, and to escape Esau. And we're told later in chapter 32 uh, that Jacob leaves with nothing other than his staff. Now, I want you uh, to think about this. Jacob and Rebekah had intended that what would happen out of all of this is that Jacob would get his two portions, that Jacob would indeed uh, be the master over his brother Esau, and that he would be the head of the household when Isaac passed away. Of course, they thought Isaac was going to die soon, but if we're paying attention to the story, we're told Isaac actually lives to be 180 years old, so he lives about another 80 years after this. He, he thought he was close, but he wasn't. Um, and so um, we, we have this uh, description of Jacob indeed um, just the opposite of what he had hoped is happening. And so he runs off to, to go back to his brother's house. And, and the rest of the story tells us how when, um, when Jacob gets there, he, he meets uh, Rachel. And he falls in love with Rachel and he wants to wed Rachel. And so he goes to Laban, the father uh, of Rachel. And he makes this deal that he'll work seven years and then Laban will um, give him Rachel um, as a wife. And he works these seven years, and lo and behold, Laban deceives him. And instead of marrying Rachel, he ends up marrying Leah. I guess what, uh, uh, what you dish out comes back around, apparently. Um, and, and so Laban says, well, I tell you what, I'll, I'll give you Rachel if you agree to work for me for seven more years. And so uh, this is what Jacob does. And he works seven more years for Laban. And, and this story between Laban and Jacob, we have this give and take as they're at odds, always trying to see who can be one up on the other. Um, two deceivers that seem to be in a competition to find out who can be the best uh, de deceiver. Um, finally, uh, Jacob decides that, that he wants to go back to his, um, to his homeland where Isaac and, and Rebekah are. And so, um, he, he, um, again, he and Laban ha have this battle of will about um, what will happen. And they finally come to an agreement. And, and so, off Jacob goes to head back to his homeland. And no longer worried about Laban chasing him. But now he has in front of him something else to worry about. You see, Esau is still alive in the land. 
And for all he knows, Esau still plans on taking his life. Esau is still uh, possibly uh, upset and mad about what Jacob has done. And so Jacob devises another plan. He's got this wonderful idea. He'll, he'll send uh, his servants uh, forward to meet Esau first, to take gifts to Esau in hopes uh, that uh, he'll butter him up in essence before he gets there. And just in case he doesn't, if Esau's upset, Esau will kill his servants and then Jacob will know maybe he shouldn't go back. And so he has this wonderful plan. Um, And so off they go um, and he sends his first set of servants. And um, when they come back, he said, so how did it go? And the only message they have for him is, well, Esau's coming to meet you and he's got 400 men with him. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm in Jacob's shoes, I'm saying, hmm, I'm not sure that sounds too good. Um, After all, I did kind of cheat him out of his blessing. But forward he goes. Um, And and we're told about this encounter that Jacob has with God, which... um, is in and of itself a a whole other sermon to talk about this struggle that Jacob has uh, with this stranger from God. Uh, But what we notice is after this struggle, um, Jacob changes his plan. And instead of sending his servants forward, Jacob decides he's going to go in front. He's going to go in front to meet Esau himself. And as he goes forward to meet Esau, this is, this is an interesting piece. He, he, um, and throughout the story, he's been calling Esau his master, which again causes me to scratch my head because all of, all of this deceptiveness was supposedly to make it so that Esau would call Jacob master. And yet Jacob treats Esau as if he is the master and he is uh, the head of the household. And, and, and so when he gets close to Esau, he begins to, to bow down, hoping that Esau will show him kindness. And we're told that Esau, in seeing Jacob come, uh, runs toward him and grabs him and puts his arms around his neck. Now this story... Uh, shows in this, this, this messed up family um, how God is still at work in this messed up world. We often think of only God as being at work in the life uh, of the patriarchs, in the life of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and, and Joseph. But I suggest that God was at work both in Jacob's life and in the life of Esau. In this messed up family, this dysfunctional family that that deceived each other, that that, um, grasped for all that they could get. After years of being separated and and deceiving, we see these two brothers come together. And we see Esau, in essence, offering Jacob forgiveness. Leaving the door open to reconciliation. And we see that the two brothers, once again in this story, they part ways. But this time, uh, they part ways in peace. Both going their own way with their families and all of their wealth uh, that they might thrive. 
Now, we'll pick up the rest of the story um, in the next couple of weeks as we look at, at Jacob and his family, and we'll see uh, that the dysfunction of the family doesn't go away. Uh, but I don't know about you, as I read this story, um, and I look around at our own world, and I see how messed up things are sometimes, I read this story with much hope. Because here were, were two brothers that could have been at odds with e each other, that, that could have ended up in battle, and yet, over the years, their hearts softened. And Jacob uh, began to realize the wrong that he had done, and Esau uh, um, offered the forgiveness, and we see the reconciliation of these two brothers, now living in the land that God had promised. And so... As we hear this story today, I just invite us to be reminded um, that despite how messy things might seem, that we can continue to trust that God is at work, working in our lives and working in the lives of others, um, seeking to shape and offer us grace and love so that we might turn to God and, and that rather than battling with each other, that we might instead reconcile and that we might live in peace. And so I hold out the hope that despite the messy world, God is at work. And we can trust that this day and every day. Amen. I invite the band to come forward. And um, I remind all of us at this time um, that... Um, um, that the offering plates are at the back, and so your attendance sheets and your offerings, please place them um, in the, in the um, offering plates as you go. For those at home, I encourage you to uh, send your offerings or bring them by the church. But most of all, uh, during this time, I just invite us to reflect on our own lives and to, and to ask ourselves, how are we offering our whole selves to Christ and trusting that God is at work in the, in the midst of this messed up world.